Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lee Maurice, and we're going to do rants, but we're going to be a little chill about it. Um, we're going to talk about the Heisman. We're going to talk about some NIL stuff that I think we need to talk out together. And I wish I had better answers for you guys, but I think by talking about it, maybe we can arrive at some answers that I'm more concerned with helping you than I am. I mean, that's who I'm concerned with because you are my audience and I think a lot of you are confused and potentially frustrated by name, image, and likeness and what you as a fan that cares about your program should do or can do or is expected to do to give money to try to help your football team. So we're not going to have the final conversation on that, but we're going to have part of a conversation on that. And if that stresses you out too much, then don't listen to the back half of it. We're going to talk about some football at the start. I didn't do a call out for rants because there was just enough stuff happening over the weekend that people were like, I got something to share. And I loved it. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Keenan Bailey uh, joining the Ohio State staff as the, the new tight ends coach. So I missed the Friday pod. Sorry for that. Um, I just I had a very minor eye surgery on Thursday that just uh, knocked me out for Thursday and Friday. And uh, it's just been like everything's fine, but like just I haven't been doing as much stuff just letting my eye uh recover and actually like let me sort of like take a step back which is not a bad idea for all of us it's a long season there are exciting things ahead but i kind of just maybe maybe wasn't as involved in the day-to-day so i would you know for any reason maybe just like maybe you guys did it already and had a good weekend and like didn't think about football constantly because there's a lot of exciting things to think about with football, but I just want to say, like, I feel a little bit refreshed, and sorry I wasn't here for the Friday pod. So let's start with the Heisman. Um, I voted. It was one of my, I think it might have been my most complicated vote. I don't know how long I've been voting, but it's at least at least 10 years, because I voted for Manti Teow ahead of Johnny Manziel 10 years ago, right? Was that the 2012 Heisman race? I think it was. Um, and like, I had like very strong feelings about that. And I, I, I had like a very specific, yeah, that was 2012, a very specific, you know, sort of like captain 
Teo was like the captain of the defense that was the best part of Notre Dame when Notre Dame was a national championship team, and he was like the quarterback of the thing that made them good. And I just, I just thought that really mattered. So I have always voted. I might have voted before that or not. I can't remember. So I have always voted um, with the team in mind, right? That I, it's to me, and I think you guys, you've heard me talk about the Heisman over the years. There, I, I sense some frustration. Well, sense, sense some frustration. Uh, maybe from something like this from the 615. I sort of hope this year kills the perceived importance of the Heisman. It's a pointless award, and this year the winner is not impressive. So I think it's the best award. I think it's the coolest. I think it's the most important. I think it's the most memorable. I think it's the best award in sports. Do you know who the NFL, NFL MVP is from year to year? Really? Do you know? Like, kind of, like, I like. I guess you know who the NBA, I just feel like the NFL MVP is so far below the Heisman in stature. So I agree that it was a weird year and maybe nobody should have won it, but it doesn't mean we should kill the Heisman. I actually have an idea to fix the Heisman. Well, let me give you the idea to fix the Heisman first before I tell you my vote. So there's two things. One is... Make the Heisman at the end of the year. So this is antiquated like so many things in college football. It's old people doing old things, and it's stupid. And especially in a 12-team playoff world where you are going to play 12 regular season games, a conference championship game, and then potentially play three or four more games, the most important games, and those games are not going to factor in to the Heisman race. I know that in pro sports, the postseason does not factor in to regular season awards, but we, I don't feel like we separate it the same way in college football. And so I don't think we should do the Heisman at the end of the regular season. And I think if you did the Heisman, you don't have to be in the playoff to win the Heisman, but you know what it would secretly do? Encourage the best players to play in the bowls. And I also kind of think we shouldn't do all American teams. I don't think we should do anything until everything's done. Because college football is kind of all one thing. And that would encourage a lot of the best players to play in the bowls because you'd be making a final statement. Now, I don't want to force players who want to protect their futures. I don't want to force them to play in meaningless games. I don't. But it wouldn't mean that you couldn't be an All-American or you couldn't win the Boletnikoff or you couldn't win the Butkus or you couldn't win the Bederick Award if you didn't play in a bowl. But maybe you could make a final statement. So I think this is an opportunity with the 12-team playoff. I think the next year should be the last year that the Heisman is in December. Let the Heisman be the last weekend in January. Why is everybody in a rush? And then don't make these guys go on like all-American tours in the middle of their bolsters. By the way, you know who's not going to have time to get any, go to any stinking award show? Somebody playing in a, in a, in a play-in quarterfinal playing in the the 512 game or the 611 game you don't have time to go to charlotte for an award show you don't have time to go hang out in new york for two days move everything so i'm going to suggest this to the heisman people i think i'm going to write about it move it back or if they refuse to move somebody should come up with an award that is the postseason best most outstanding player and maybe that'll trump the Heisman. If you think that it's silly, right? If you're down on the vote this year, and it's not anyone's fault, there just wasn't an obvious person. Create something. Maybe it's 
the Cardale. Maybe it's the Haskins to honor Dwayne Haskins, even though he didn't make a playoff. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is. Let's honor somebody great. Let's create a postseason award for the most outstanding player of the playoff. You don't have to win it. You don't even have to make the title game. Maybe you had two awesome games and then your team lost. Maybe you were outstanding and 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 lost in a semifinal, right? But if the Heisman's not going to adjust, then create something new. So I'm throwing that out there to the people. It's there for the taken, Dr. Pepper. It's there for the taken. Cool Whip. And now the Cool Whip Cardale Award. I don't know. Create something. Make something cool. So um, I do think there's a way to make the Heisman much more impactful. So I understand that if your team's not in the postseason, and then you're going to try to win the Heisman if it's at the end of the year, it will make it harder. But go ball out in your bowl game. And if your regular season is so outstanding, like a Lamar Jackson kind of regular season, and you're not in the playoff, people aren't going to forget. But if your regular season was like good, but other people who are in the playoff also were almost as good, and then they got to go in the playoff, well, guess what? Now we're going to like give a little edge to the guys who are in the playoff. Is that so terrible? Like what? Like we do that anyway. So I do think the Heisman could be better. And I also would like to do an investigation. There's a lot of unqualified people. The best people aren't voting. I did like a little brief survey in the Ohio State media room a couple weeks ago, just saying like, who in here votes for the Heisman? I'm not saying that like all the voters in Ohio should be Ohio State beat writers, but there were not that many people. And there were a lot of people in that room who are who have are covering college football as full-time jobs who do not have Heisman votes. And I know there are people in this state who don't cover college football as full-time, who do have Heisman votes. And I also still think I know who the, the person is who's in charge of in charge of Ohio and, and like overseeing the electors in Ohio. And if it's the person who used to be, who I still think it is, that person is not particularly involved in the day-to-day coverage of college football anymore. So the Heisman is doing a bad job with that. So it, it I do agree that it needs to be reworked, but it is not meaningless because it's the stinking Heisman and it's awesome. This was a weird year. Um, let's see, from the 678. Rant text, who's been a two-time Heisman finalist but never won it? Meaning CJ. Heisman is a joke. CJ has better overall numbers than Caleb Williams just because he doesn't run around in the pocket to throw, to throw the football means he can't win the Heisman. This is a disgrace. So... CJ, and and there's there's one more specific thing that people are asking about here, that that Lincoln Riley did this again, got another Heisman quarterback. What's different about Lincoln Riley's offenses that makes it produce so many more Heisman winners than Ryan Day? Is it that it relies more on the QB run? Kyler Murray beat Dwayne Haskins in 2018. Uh, Caleb Williams beat CJ Stroud in 2022. Like, what's the deal? So... I do think in this discussion of all this stuff, I do think the QB run factors in. And I think it factors in from a stat standpoint, and I think it factors in from a highlight standpoint. And I don't know what you can do about that. You can like be less obsessed with quarterback run, right? Because it's not as much part of the modern game necessarily. Um, Kyler Murray, this is overall stats for the year. I don't have time to break out what happened pre-Heisman and post-Heisman. For the year in 2018, Kyler Murray threw for 4,361 and ran for 1,000. Dwayne threw for 4,831 and ran for 100. So total yards from scrimmage, Kyler's 5,360. 
Dwayne's like 49-40. So Kyler did have a few more um, a few more yards, but uh, and I do think that spectacular nature kind of does help. I also think that you've got to show out on the final stage, right? You've got to really be in the mix on conference championship weekend. And Kyler won it in 18, throwing for 379 and three touchdowns and winning the Big 12 title game. Dwayne was also awesome. Dwayne threw for 499 and five touchdowns in the Big 10 title game. But at that point, the Purdue loss was hanging on Dwayne. Kyler, Oklahoma had lost to Texas that year in a shootout, like 48-45. It didn't hang on him the same way. Even though Dwayne threw for a ton of yards in the Purdue game, that was hanging on him a little bit. And in the end, it came down to Kyler and Tua, and Dwayne just got aced out. I think Dwayne as a third-place finisher in 2018, and I'm going to do this uh, on the bonus episode of the College Football Survivor Show this week. I'm going to rank the nine best Heisman candidates of the nine years of the playoff. I think it's possible that Dwayne as a third-place finisher might make that group. Dwayne, Dwayne's 2018 wins this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I apologize. I haven't had time to listen to what Steven and Nathan talked about on Friday. If they covered that, I don't think there's any doubt. Baker Mayfield in 2017 threw for 46, 27 ran for three eleven. He threw for four touchdowns in the big 12 title game. I think Dwayne's 2018 might beat Baker in 2017. It's close. Cause it's a little more similar with style of play. Dwayne just ran into a really rough year. But the three finalists that year, Kyler, Tua, and Dwayne, are all better than the people this year because all three of those guys were in their conference championship games. Tua had a bad SEC championship game, and that's why he lost it. Um, that's why Kyler won. But I do think, like, the, I don't know that there's something that Lincoln Riley is doing that, that Ryan Day's offense is not because, to be honest, C.J. Stroud, if Ohio State beat Michigan the last two years, I think C.J. Stroud might be a two-time Heisman winner. I don't think that's saying too much because in a world where the best team in the country didn't have a Heisman candidate, and that's Georgia the past two years, didn't have a Heisman candidate. Bryce won it last year on conference championship weekend by beating Georgia. And maybe nobody was going to beat him when he did that because of the reputation of that Georgia defense and what he did. But as you know, after the 11th game of the year, a year ago, after he threw six touchdowns against Michigan State, uh, CJ was the leader. And if Ohio State beats Michigan with a good game from him and then goes to the Big Ten title game and he tears up Iowa the way Michigan tore up Iowa, like Bryce would be coming from way behind to try to pass him. And I think CJ might have held him off. And then this very confusing year, if Ohio State beats Michigan, if Ohio State is undefeated and they go to the Big Ten championship game and beat Purdue, I think CJ wins. He finished third without playing on conference championship weekend. He finished third. So... If you say, like, what is Lincoln Riley doing? Well, his guys are getting a conference championship weekend. So that's one of them. And a lot of the other stuff is bad luck. I do think some of the running, uh, Jalen Hurts in 2019. So Burrow's runaway winner in 2019. Hurts is second, Justin's third. Jalen Hurts, for the year, threw for 38.50 and ran for 1,300. Justin threw for 3270 and ran for 500. So that I think is a choice about how much you run your quarterback because certainly whatever Jalen Hurts did, I we see it in the NFL now. Whatever Jalen Hurts did as a runner, Justin could have done. Ryan Day doesn't want to do that. So I do think the point of they run a little bit more helps a little bit, but also uh Dwayne just got caught up in a rough year of three really strong candidates. 
Nobody was going to beat Burrow in 19. I do think the running helped Jalen Hurts that year. And then CJ was right there the past two years and they beat Michigan. And I just think it's really hard to say that it's a disgrace. Like CJ, CJ's case to me was captain of the ship. And then his ship didn't get to port. So they still made the playoff, which is really good. But you lose the Michigan game and you don't get to the Big Ten championship game. That's two chances to show out, even though he had good stats in the Michigan game. And certainly he didn't play terrible in the Michigan game. I didn't think CJ was the guy to vote for this year. So I almost voted for Bijan Robinson from Texas because I just thought, well, I like I like thinking about three things. Elevating your, your level of play, elevating your team, being an outstanding player, and also the story of the season. And so I just thought, well, like it's hard. All the all the best, you know, the quarterbacks and the best players from the teams in the playoff, like they all have knocks against them. Max Duggan lost his last game. Caleb Williams lost his last game. CJ Stroud lost his last game. So let me just think about outstanding players. If I'm really just thinking outstanding players, then maybe I'll go B. John Robinson. But that B. John Robinson had a rough game against TCU when TCU beat Texas in a low-scoring game. Max Duggan wasn't great that game either. But then, like, TCU found a way to win. So why would I, like, when the Texas running back played the TCU quarterback, the TCU quarterback won. The Texas running back wasn't great, couldn't get his team over the top. And then Texas didn't matter that much this year. So I know Bijan's great, but am I really going to vote for him ahead of TCU? And then if I'm not going to do that, then I'm not going to vote for Bijan ahead of USC or Ohio State or the other great. And I, I'm saying the teams, right? I am saying the teams. Because I do think voting for a team is reasonable. I want to vote for a representative of that team. And if you tell me that's not what it's supposed to be, well, that's how I do it. And I think it's more than most outstanding player. I think it's like, I think you have to matter. And you can matter by being outstanding, but man, you better be spectacular. So I think your team had to matter. I decided, okay, I'm not going to go just straight baller. You're awesome. I don't care what your team did. I almost went down that road and I would have had a goofy ballot. Not goofy. I think a reasonable ballot, but certainly different than what it turned out. And then I wound up spinning back toward, you know what? I'm going to go by the teams that mattered and the players, the outstanding players who helped them matter. And my ballot wound up being what the top three was. I did Caleb Williams one, Max Duggan two, CJ Stroud three. If I had, we only vote for three. If I had had a fourth and a fifth, I think I, I would have gone Hendon Hooker and Bijan Robinson in some order. So that's what my vote is. I didn't feel great about it. I don't feel great about it now. I think Caleb Williams was the right guy to win it. I just think CJ, he didn't have a huge statistical case and they didn't win their most important game of the year. That's That's rough. That's rough to get over the top. And I know you can say the same about Caleb Williams, but, you know, Caleb, the statistical case, Caleb threw for 4,075, ran for 372. CJ threw, threw for 3340 and ran for 74. So the stack case goes to Caleb. They're both outstanding, outstanding quarterbacks. A little different style, of course. Um, don't give up on the Heisman, but let's all make it better. Let's all make it better. I think it can be better. But I do think, I, I don't think the idea of CJ being a two-time guy is ridiculous. It was there and it didn't happen. So I'm not, you know, that's just how things work. And the guy, you know, you don't want to beat Michigan so your quarterback can win the Heisman. You want to beat Michigan because you want to beat Michigan. But I do kind of think that's how that went down. And um, in the end, I didn't have a problem with how it worked out, but I, I, I wouldn't have had much of a problem with, I think, any part of it. I did think Stetson Bennett, to New York ahead of Hendon Hooker. I get wanting, that to me is wanting to reward. Listen, Georgia's been the best team for the last two years and we can't figure out who their Heisman candidate is. So in that void, 
You went to the quarterback, which is not unreasonable. I I didn't do it. I didn't really consider doing it. And when he popped up, I was like, as a first finalist, I was like, oh, man, did I blow it by not thinking about voting for that guy? So did I already talk about this? I'm so removed. I'm so, I, I took such a step back. I can't remember what I said last week. Anyway, that was my ballot. You're not supposed to reveal it because the Heisman will come, I don't know, knock on your door in the middle of the night. But my ballot was the top three. So um, I've had much stronger opinions at times. Oh, Doug had a strong opinion. What a shock. I've had much stronger opinion at times in the past years. Again, if you have like a really strong opinion, why CJ should have been number one, why Max Duggan, why B. John Robinson, why Hendon Hooker, why Blake Corum, why somebody else should have been number one. I'll certainly hear it. And I and I probably will think that you made good points. So uh, like if you want to yell at me at tech on text or on Twitter, that's fine. But like I admit it. Like I, I know it was odd, but like it's the season more than anything else. So um and I'll tell you what, if Blake Corum had played in the Ohio State game and played in the Big Ten Championship and hadn't been hurt, I think he would have won it. I think he would have won it maybe easily. But it certainly did, and maybe it shouldn't, but it did affect my opinion when it's like, well, he's excellent, and then also his backup came in with that great offensive line and was also excellent. So and they kept winning. So I, it's a part of me. It's like, how can you win the Heisman if you miss the two biggest games of the year and the backup looks almost as good as you? That's, that's rough. So anyway, that's where I came down. And I'm not going to say that I'm wrong, because I don't know that anyone's wrong because it was a rough year. So let's make it better. Okay, quick break. When we come back, we'll do some other stuff and then we'll do NIL at the end. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the Keenan Bailey, new tight ends coach for Ohio State. I think he's been on staff seven years. Um, not a surprise. I think what most people thought might happen with the departure of Kevin Wilson to Tulsa. Again, Kevin Wilson's going to stay through uh, playoff helping his offensive coordinator but bailey's been around forever and, I, and like he like ryan day like really respects this guy and um he helped he's worked with ryan day on projects he has a real feel i think for for this offense for what ryan day wants to do he's been involved in wide receiver recruiting and relationships he's he's like wherever you saw brian hartline um you saw keenan bailey and so you got a sense of this guy's value to Ohio State football. The, the issue is that this is uh, the third guy, third young guy now of the 10 full-time assistants who was promoted from down the hall. Um, I'm a little rough on ages. I think Corey Dennis is 30, according to his Wikipedia page. He's the quarterback's coach. I think Keenan's about 30 because he was like a 30, like one of those 30 under 30 lists like a year ago. I think he's about 30. And then Parker Fleming, I think, is about 34. He's a special teams coach. So those are three of your 10 full-time assistants now. And again, if we talked about, they might pass a rule that lets you have unlimited assistance that, and that could change things. But if you think about the 2018 staff under Urban Meyer, there are three assistants now left from that staff who are still, and Ryan Day's here. So Tony Alford's still the running backs coach, Brian Hartline, who was thrown in in that 18 season to replace Zach Smith and then did a great job. He's the receivers coach still. And Larry Johnson is a defensive line coach. If you think about who, who was out and who came in and like, who's there now, here's the transition. So Kevin Wilson becomes Keenan Bailey. 
Greg Stoudrawa, the offensive line coach, becomes Justin Fry. And again, Kevin Wilson was a tight ends coach, but had been an, an offensive coordinator, an offensive line guy, some, some quarterback stuff. So Keenan Bailey's going to be the new tight ends coach. Justin Fry, new offensive line coach for Greg Stoudrawa. Fry's first year was this year. And then Ryan Day, to replace himself, that's Corey Dennis now, because Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator, but he was also the quarterback's coach. So Dennis is the quarterback's coach. So you go from Day to Dennis. Defensively, Greg Schiano was a defensive coordinator in 18. Now that's Jim Knowles. Alex Grinch was a secondary coach, safeties coach. Now that's Perry Aliano. Tabor Johnson was the corners coach in 18. Now that's Tim Walton. And then Bill Davis was a linebackers coach. Knowles sort of took over for Schiano and Bill Davis. And again, with a bunch of people in between, Jeff Halfley, Kerry Combs, Al Washington, all kinds of moving parts. But basically, Bill Davis becomes Parker Fleming now. So when you think about some of those moves, Kevin Wilson was a longtime offensive coordinator at Northwestern, at Oklahoma, and was the head coach at Indiana before he came to Ohio State. He's now being replaced by a guy who's never been a full-time assistant anywhere before. Ryan Day had worked extensively in college, had been in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers as a quarterback's coach before he came to Ohio State as an offensive coordinator. He's now replaced by Corey Dennis, who had never been a full-time assistant anywhere else before he got hired by Ohio State. And Bill Davis, as much as he was the wrong fit here, had been an NFL linebackers coach for like two decades. And now, since you you have like a full-time special teams guy, which you didn't have back then, they're using a spot on that. You're replacing a guy who'd been in the NFL for 20 years with Parker Fleming, who his only two full-time jobs before Ohio State were James Madison and Texas State, because he was an Everett Withers guy. Everett Withers, who had been in Ohio State, Parker Fleming was here. Everett Withers then went to James Madison, then went to Texas State. Parker Fleming followed him around. So that's kind of a brain drain. If you think about the credentials of Wilson, Day, and Davis compared to Bailey, Dennis, and Fleming. That's just fact. These are guys, young guys in their 30s. They just don't have the experience. Now, does experience equal good? No, you do want a balance to your staff, right? You want a balance in every way possible. I think you want a geographic balance. That helps in recruiting. You want an experience balance. I think it's good to have some guys who have been in the NFL and are, quote, coming down. Maybe some guys who are in the high school ranks coming up. Guys who have coached, you know, different positions, different leagues, whatever. Great. I think a variety of experiences are very good. But I don't know. It's Ohio State, man. I don't know what that, like. It's like one of the best jobs in the country. This is like one of the highest assistant pools in the country. And now three of your 10 guys are this young and this inexperienced. And I do think, listen, I'm not friends with any of these guys. So I'm just going to say what I think. I don't think they're bad people. This is on. This is Ryan Day. This is Ryan Day's decisions. I do think it's possible that Keenan Bailey might have something to him. I do think that Keenan Bailey, again, just the stuff that I know that he and Ryan Day have worked uh, in concert on, the way people talk about him, I think it's possible that Keenan Bailey really might have something. But the hard thing is when you promote Parker Fleming and Corey Dennis, and now you're also promoting Keenan Bailey, it's like, did you coincidentally, you had three geniuses? Barely barely still like still in their 20s practically you had three geniuses in the building that you didn't have to go outside at all i don't know like it's ohio state i think sometimes it's like you're in the building and then you go out and you get a job in the mac 
or at a, a group of five jobs somewhere, and then you do a good job, and then you come back. And that's how this works, that it's you only have the experience in the building. Most of your experience is in the building. And again, Parker Fleming, Texas State, and JMU, like, color me not that impressed. I, I, I question it for real. I question it for real, and now it's th- the third time. I think I questioned the Keenan Daly hire the least. And if it was on an island, I don't know that I would question it at all. I'd be like, all right, you need some young blood. You need some fresh blood. But I'm just trying to think about what is the best staff for a team that is trying to win a national championship. So they have gone out, right? I mean, some of the other replacements, Justin Fry had a resume. He was at UCLA. He replaces Greg Stradrawa. Perry Eliano at Cincinnati had a resume. Tim Walton came from the NFL, had a resume. Jim Knowles are paying big money for that. But you just think about, um, you know, some of the people. What Keenan Bailey's experience was compared to Kevin Wilson. What Parker Fleming's experience was compared to Bill Davis. And then really, Mike Yurcich was here for a year before, and that didn't work out, before they went and got Corey Dennis, gave Corey Dennis that job instead. You know, Mike Yurcich was the longtime offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. So if you really think about some of the, like, direct moves, and then Parker Fleming really got hired. as So the direct replacement... Corey Dennis got promoted to quarterbacks coach because Mike Yersich left. Mike Yersich was the longtime offensive coordinator at Oklahoma State. Corey Dennis replaced him. Parker Fleming got promoted when Greg Madison retired. Greg Madison had been an NFL defensive coordinator. He had been a defensive coordinator at Michigan. He retired. That created the opening that Parker Fleming filled. And now Kevin Wilson, who'd been a college head coach, leaves and you do Keenan Bailey. So, man, that is just a gap. That is a gap from Mike Yersich, Greg Madison, Kevin Wilson in experience and credentials to Corey Dennis, Parker Fleming, Keenan Bailey. That's just fact. Now, maybe you think, maybe you don't care, but that is just fact. That is not a shot at any of those three guys. It's just fact. And I don't know, man. I'll be curious to see if anything else moves around this offseason because you got, and, and they just, you know, they just brought in. Fry, they just brought in Eliano and Walton and Knowles, right? That's another big change. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I, I think three hires, I think three, in her, three internal promotions like that um, feels like a lot. And I think I'm, I'm fine with Keenan Bailey. So that's where I am. I don't know. You guys know where I stand on this stuff. I'm just trying to have Ohio State live up to its own standards, right? Um, that's all. That's all. I'm having Ohio State live up to its own standards, where and the standard is be the best at everything. So that's where we are with that. Uh, this is something worth looking into, and I didn't have time to do it before this pod from the 419. I wanted to do this research if I could before asking the question, but just from my memory, CJ Stroud seems to play better in warmer weather. It seems the colder it is, the harder it is to find a rhythm. One of his best games last year was in the bowl game, played in California, and as the season went on this year and the weather got worse, the teams did get tougher, though, but he didn't seem to perform as well. This is hard to judge because at the beginning of the year, the competition is, isn't as good, and comparing those stats to the ones at the end of the year with tougher teams doesn't seem fair. I wanted to see someone else's thoughts on this. I think it's interesting. He's a California guy, so like I, I don't. That could be something to that, and that might be worth asking CJ about. Now, it's like a loaded question because as soon as you, oh, Big Ten weather, I mean, we get it, but it's just you're a California kid. Are you significantly more comfortable 
in better weather or indoors? How do you feel it affects your game? Does it affect your grip? Does it affect how you move around? Um, does it affect the clothing that you wear and your comfort? I, I don't know. It's probably something worth asking, and we can we can we get paid here. I don't know if you guys know that. You don't get paid the texts. You don't you don't make money. We do. So I have to look that up. Not you. But thanks to that texter for bringing up that point. Um, I think it's I think it's an, an, one to look into. I maybe ask CJ about it just a little bit. Just as a heads up, I'm recording this super late uh, Sunday night. So the plan this week is we're going to like have a bowl guy. Some Chick-fil-A peach bowl guy is going to be in Columbus on Tuesday. I think it's a boondoggle. And I, I don't – I think I'm going to ask about that. Like he's here. He came to Columbus to officially extend an invitation to the people. Like what are you talking about? What extend what? Like you made the playoff. What did you like? It's so you spent your bowl money to come to Columbus. I don't, I don't get it. For a PR campaign to promote your bowl that like everybody's already going to because it's Georgia Ohio State. What are you promoting? So I don't know. But we're supposed to talk to Ryan Day on Tuesday at that thing. I don't know. And then Wednesday, I think we're gonna talk to players. So I think that's the plan. So then we'll have some fresh stuff this week. So. Nothing is fresh right now, so that means you get Dougie Boy in the middle of the night talking about raw cake batter. That's right. There need to be more opportunities to eat raw cake batter. Why don't we have a way to make it ready-made and more portable? Pre-made cookie dough fixed this problem for raw cookie dough consumption. Give me pre-made cake batter cups as an acceptable form of dessert so I don't have to keep up the pretense of making an actual cake when my girlfriend catches me hunched over the sink slurping batter out of a bowl like a feral goblin. Jackson and the 650. I do not know what to do with this, Jackson. Do you want to drink? Do you want someone? Is it like, could, is it like a milkshake? Have you ever had like a cake batter milkshake? Don't they? Do you want to make, do you want to have someone make raw cake batter like in a, in like a 12 ounce bottle? Like a Yoohoo, but it's cake batter? What do you want here? I don't understand how we would, how we would make this portable for easy consumption. And would people, raw cookie dough, I think makes sense in the fact that it's like, it's still a solid. So uh, uh, is anyone else thinking about this? Are you alone, Jackson? You might be a genius. You might be a genius. And maybe at my store, when we call nighttime donuts, Mini dessert cakes and sell them at seven o'clock at night, and instead of just being stale donuts, like you sell them as a new thing. No, it's 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 in, in the in the morning is for breakfast, and the night it's a mini dessert cake. Maybe we could have cookie dough in a bottle at that. I I am fascinated, Jackson, by this idea because of all the weird things that I think about. I have never thought of that. And if you maybe if you're a texter, if you're listening, and you want to sh- shout me out on Twitter. If you are also hunched over bowls of raw cake batter, slurping them, hiding from loved ones and slurping away in the middle of the night and thinking to yourself, could someone please put this raw cake batter in a bottle? That's what I want. Share those thoughts. Jackson just made it okay to share those thoughts. Okay? We we will not judge. But I have not thought of that. So thank you for bringing that up, Jackson. From the 513, the December Bengals Browns game should be at the Horseshoe. The extra capacity would accommodate the majority of both team season ticket holders, so there would be part of an extra game to sell each season. It could be a real Ohio Super Bowl kind of atmosphere. So I don't 
want to say that this is a genius idea, but I'm going to say it's a genius idea. It's like the cocktail party, but in reverse. The idea, right, of that the, the places when, you know, when they play the, the Red River rivalry, they play Texas, Oklahoma at the State Fair in Texas, right? They play it at a neutral site. They play Georgia, Florida in Jacksonville. Do that in the NFL with a neutral site game in Columbus in the window when college football is done. And then you alternate the home games for the Bengals and Browns every year otherwise. And you make what you make the December, make the NFL can say, okay, we're going to make one of those. Now, you know, you have to be a little bit careful of Ohio State's hosting in the 12 team playoff, hosting a game, but you figure out, make it late December. You want to make like a football. Are you saying you want to make a football party in Columbus in a 105,000 seat stadium for the Browns and Bengals every year? Is that what you are saying you want to do, you genius? Make some, let's do this in Ohio in a way that colleges already do. We're going to make a neutral site game every year for the Browns and Bengals. I love this so much. The NFL would never go for it unless we make them. I love it. And maybe could you even just do it for two years? Like they each give up a home game and do it for two years. And we can come up with the name and we can do all kinds of, my gosh, we can come up with a trophy. We can come up with like a festival. We've talked about, I think there should be like a, I guess the Hall of Fame inductions are that. But to make this separate from the Hall of Fame, this is a, this is a, a, a Bengals, Browns, Ohio State football festival in December is spectacular in every single way. I don't know how this person came up with it, but. I don't know who would be against it from the five one three. I could I could not love it more. I could not love it more. Um, okay, so this is a little bit talking about the twelve team playoff, which we've been talking about from the seven four zero, and this is when the you know the playoff stuff came out, and we had all the matchups. I want the twelve team playoff, and I need it now. Looking at some of the potential first round matchups we are missing this year is disgusting. I would love to see USC come to Columbus and give the winner a chance at Clemson, Kansas State, or whoever. And three other games that actually matter instead of bowls that don't mean anything. Penn State versus this Bama team. Ugh. 12 teams can't get uh, can't get here soon enough. That's Micah from the 740, now in the 801. And this is from the 419. Doug, I have multiple ramps that are combined into one, so here it is. I sent what felt like an essay after the game with my frustration and other thoughts. I am back to actually listening to the podcast, but I refuse to listen to anything the week after the game while I cooled off. Out of that, though, I still feel that as an Ohio State fan, non-playoff bowl games do not move the needle for interest anymore, and I've been slowly dying since the creation of the BCS National Championship game. I am really interested in the Peach Bowl versus Georgia. However, I am still worried about this, that this is secondary in general, and how it was gashed in the back half of the season. Oh, However, I'm still worried about the Ohio State secondary and how it was gashed in the back half of the season. It hasn't been healthy all year. Also, I feel the offensive play calling is something to worry about. Um, As a bowl game, I think I might be able to enjoy this slightly. I hope that with the 2024 playoff expansion, that helps me be able to watch games that are close, being able to eat and have fun. 
I turned off the TV and quit watching four different times this season, and I've had many games the past few years where I was unable to watch because of the on-field performance. I want to be able to sit and enjoy a game regardless of the score and how how Ohio State plays. It is my expectations that get in the way. I really hope the 12-team playoff helps me and I can be okay with losing. So again, this is something I do want us to keep talking about uh, more in the offseason, but just the idea of being able to lose, being able to have a one loss, not ruin your season as a fan, not ruin your season as a team. So um, these are some older rants, but I did want to share them because I do think that I do think that stuff really matters. Okay, I do think that stuff really matters. So okay, I wanted to talk about the Heisman, and I wanted to talk about Keenan Bailey. We're gonna have more football stuff. We're gonna do breakdowns. Georgia offense, Ohio State defense, Ohio State offense, Georgia defense. We're gonna do breakdowns on this pod. We're going to get into the football hardcore. We're going to talk to a lot of people around the team. So, like, all that is coming. It's just still this this weird weird little lull here a little bit, okay? So, I think that's going to do it for the football talk. Although, NIL is football talk. So, when we come back, when I come back after the break, we're going to talk about name, image, and likeness and what it means to you guys and where Ohio State is and how everybody should think about it. I do not have all the answers right now. I am not the world's single single greatest expert on NIL. But I have talked to people around Ohio State about it, and I think I have a vibe um, to some degree for where things are and how they're feeling. And I've gotten some texts from you guys, and I have a vibe from that. And I think we need to talk about it a little bit, not to make anybody crazy, not to make anybody crazy. Deep breath. But it is a weird situation and it's a little bit complicated. And we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right. So we're here to talk about finance, which is just what I am so qualified to talk about. But we are going to talk about NIL because Gene Smith said another thing last week. You guys know about it. Making an appeal, telling fans to give to the three Ohio State collectives. Nathan wrote about it last Thursday. And that was a new step. And Ohio State had been... Eh, no, somewhat cautious. They had the meeting in June with business leaders saying, hey, we need the the uh, the Columbus business community. We need your help with NIL. And they had talked a lot about, hey, we don't just, you know, we're not just talking about like giving money to players. We're saying, hey, you can have an internship here and have a relationship with a, com- a company in Columbus. And then maybe you you can do some promotion for them and get paid by them, but also learn about that business. And, and meanwhile, a lot of other schools are just like, hey, we'll give money to recruits. So that's the issue at the moment. And NIL, as it works, right, it's not supposed to be pay recruits. It's not supposed to be. It really is not. But nobody is stopping schools from making it that. And so the NCAA is not overseeing anything. The The laws are loose. And therefore, it is becoming more like that. And it's becoming more of a market. But it's, it's, an, it's a black market because it's not known. Right. I mean, it's sort of like, hey, was, did you know, is this this guy, is this school giving this much money to this kid? Oh, what would it take to get him here? Oh, if we give you this, can we get you here? That's the kind of stuff that is happening now. And but the thing is, there's no so you can't pay for performance in NIL and you can't say like you uh, have to stay at this school for a certain amount of time or whatever. So you can go get a check for NIL from a collective and then like not play, get hurt lose a not win a starting job transfer whatever and it's like i don't know did like did the collective get its money's worth out of that player i mean i guess that's how all endorsements work but 
it it it's like they're they're doing it to players who are not yet established. So Ohio State, I think, had tried to make it more like we want to we want our players who are here, our established players on the roster, we want them to have NIL opportunities so that recruits will see, oh, look, Travion Henderson, CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Jack Sawyer, guys like that. Look, look at the NIL things they are getting. That's what is available to me at Ohio State if I go there. But now it's really sort of like, hey, recruit, come here and we'll give you hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's kind of where it is right now. So um, Ohio State, I think, is trying to get more proactive. And I do, I have sensed a growing sense of frustration with Ohio at Ohio State about this. And I think it is about the situation more than anything else. But then the reality is trying to keep up within the situation. That is frustrating, but is also the deal right now. So can Ohio State do that? And I know, I think it was Jay Book and maybe Dave Biddle. Some people hosted a Twitter spaces where there was a good NIL discussion last week. Uh, I heard reports about that. I did not listen to it. But I think there were talks and, you know, people talking in there of like, hey, might there be some schools in the SEC that have, you know, 10 times the amount of NIL uh, deals with their collectives as Ohio State does. And so now Ohio State's trying to push the envelope on this. But it is all very hard to track. And I do think there are there are two ways to get NIL money, right? One is to just have like a big giant rich person say, hey, collective, here's a whole bunch of money. Pay players as you wish. Or you can get many people to give smaller amounts and build it up. Because guess what? It's just like politics. But there's no rules. There's no like there's not even a cap on like and there's no there's no registering to say, oh, we can see like campaign finance laws, right? We can go in and see who donated this much money to a, to a certain cause or a certain candidate. We can't see that with NIL, right? Like nothing's above board. It's all and we have no idea, honestly, other than their word. I don't know. Like we don't really know. I mean, there's lots of people with well-known, you know, former players and some you know, Brian Schottenstein and other people who've been involved at Ohio State for a long time, but we don't really know how they operate. So you're giving your money over. And I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying like, it's a lot of, there are a lot of unknowns here, but they are having an effect on things. And there is frustration. And I think there is frustration on your part as well. And that, that's who I'm concerned about at the moment is you guys. From the three, two, one, I make a pretty significant donation to Ohio State every year, and I'm frustrated by being asked to make additional donations to the NIL collective as well. My frustration is multifold. One, I only have a finite amount of money that I want to contribute. Where does Gene Smith want this to go, Ohio State or a collective? There's only so much money to go around, and a whole lot of hands are being held out right now. Two, the collectives are not entirely transparent on how the money is used. It's a bit too murky for me right now. Three, the way NIL was originally intended was not this. A bunch of collectives coming up with uh, ways to pass money to recruits and players. I know that this is what we are currently dealing with, and Ohio State has to adapt, but the whole thing is a murky mess to me, and I'm hoping it can be cleaned up soon. I think that's exactly right from the 3 two, one that's exactly where I am too. And I understand why fans are frustrated. And I also stand, understand why Ohio State's frustrated. Because I do think at the moment, I think when you hear the names of schools being thrown around that are perhaps more aggressive in the NIL space right now, it is not schools that are succeeding on Ohio State's level. It is schools on the field. It is schools that are trying to 
schools that are trying to reach the Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson level. Well, what can you do? Well, you can try to spend money on players. I don't think, I don't think right now the issue is Alabama and NIL that Ohio State's worried about. I don't think it's Clemson and NIL that they are necessarily worried about. But it is schools, I think, like Texas A&M, right, right at the forefront. Maybe like Florida. Maybe like Tennessee. Maybe, maybe some, some SEC schools that are trying to get somewhere they are not now. And this is, I don't want to say it's a shortcut, but it's a new road. It is a new super highway to success. Now, it is not guaranteed. It is not guaranteed to get you success. But it is a way of traveling that is now, you're not going to get pinched by the NCAA for it. You don't risk that. It's above board in terms of what maybe had been there in the past, the the under-the-table payments. And so you can do it very publicly, and you can get money from donors very publicly. And it's a new world. And they're trying to get somewhere. And so the result might be that they might win some recruiting battles against the more established powers who had been offering success and a path to the NFL and great facilities and those kind of things. And maybe those schools, without a winning tradition as of late, without as much NFL success, maybe they're right, they couldn't keep up that way. So now they can keep up this way. So then the question is if you are an established power, whether it's Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia or anybody else who's winning right now, USC, right? The new USC. Is being good enough. We're good. You're going to have a chance to win a ring and you're going to get to the NFL. Like, is that enough? Or do you, and, and, and I think that's what Ryan Day in June had said of like, we don't have to be number one in NIL, but we got to offer something because we feel like we're offering all these other things to the players, but we have to be competitive. We don't have to have the most money in NIL, but we have to have enough so a player can say, okay, well, I could get more money at this other place, but if I want to go to Ohio State for other reasons, I can at least get some money. And I think that's where Ohio State wants to be. And I don't know if Ohio State thinks they're there right now. I I don't think they believe that they're at the point they need to be at. And I think they might be frustrated by the nature of things right now. But I think they're also trying to get some money. From the 440, I'm sure you're all getting lots of texts about the NIL stuff. And I'm behind on listening to the podcast. But I think there is a, there are fairly reputable sources putting the total amount of Ohio State collectives at like $3 million. I, I I don't know. I think this is the discussion on that Twitter spaces. So I, I don't know those numbers. So I know those have been thrown around. Maybe 30 versus three, three okay? million. I don't know. Geographical recruiting challenges are hard enough, but now six-figure paydays may push a lot of recruits beyond reach. Is Ohio State really expecting the everyday fan to donate enough? Would the team rather have fans in the stands or donating to NIL? Over 250,000 alumni would be needed to donate $50 a year to match Ryan Day's initial request of $13 million. That's an enormous amount of people. How many average listeners does Buckeye Talk have versus subscribers to the text? I would say our texts are about 10% of our average listeners. Maybe, yeah, about roughly 10% of our average listeners. I would expect the percent of alumni who care about football enough to donate to be much smaller than the number of Buckeye Talk listeners who subscribe to the texts. That number would give an idea of what the average donator would need to give each year. I suspect it would be in the hundreds of dollars range each year. That's not insignificant. That's just to get to the 13 million. To get to 30 million and higher, which is what they'll need to get 
to match those SEC schools, you would leave me to believe they need large donors to solve this. So again, this is this is the dual issue. There are some schools that have large single person donors who are giving millions and millions and millions. The discussions that I've had, I don't believe that Ohio State has somebody like that right now. So that leads them to saying they need more small donors. And I do think that puts a burden on fans. It does. And I do think this is what I said from the start. Is Ohio State going to tell you, don't give to us. Don't give to us to build a building. Don't give to us to pay coaches. Give to the collective instead. Well, are they going to tell you that? Because you only have so much money. It is not fair to ask you for to double your donation. Whatever you're giving to the school or the athletic department now, also give that same amount to the collective. That's not fair. So where does Ohio State want you to send your money? I will ask Gene Smith that question directly the next time I see him. If you have a fan who says, I love Ohio State football. I have $100 that I can afford to give this calendar year. Tell me where to send it. I will send it wherever you tell me, Gene. I will get that answer. I will get that answer. And maybe he'll tell you, okay, I need half of you to send it to the collective. I need half of you to send it to Ohio State. But again, Gene Smith is going to tell you to give it to a collective that is out of his control, that is not run by anybody that he oversees, that he's not exactly sure about how they spend their money, right? They can work in concert. They can talk now, right? But it's not. he doesn't have oversight. He can't tell them, he can't exactly tell them, right? Now they listen, but he can't exactly tell. It's odd. Is he, is Gene going to do that? Is Gene going to say, nope, our building, our building money is good. Give it to them. I'll ask him. From the 614, I paid $100 to the foundation yesterday, but I didn't like it. Ohio State has the money, but can't pay due to stupid rules which are there because of schools like Ohio State being resistant to paying players' contracts. I will do it for now and chip in, but I do not like it, and it is not a long-term solution. I agree it's not a long-term solution, and I think I think this is all going to get us to a spot. But I understand why you don't like it. I understand why you don't like it right now. From the 513, seems like the consensus I hear from people my age, 40-ish, is that NIL is ruining college football. In my opinion, it's just leveling the playing field and the days of a Saban-type Alabama dynasty are coming to an end. In the grand scheme of things, won't this be better for the sport? Different but better. What are your thoughts? Oh, boy. I mean, it is one of these things that's like, uh, you could ask a lot of people, hey, Ohio State's not going to be as dominant. People are like, yeah, good. Yeah, no, that's good. Great. Now, Ohio State's still going to be in a, I don't think Ohio State's worried about NIL versus Wisconsin and Penn State and, and Michigan and teams in the Big Ten. They're worried about the national school, which they're trying to compete with. So it's a tough question. Um, I wish there was, is it better for the sport? I don't think it's better for the sport overall to be paying recruits in this form. I think it's good for players to be able to get money. But I think having it more out in the open is better than this because this is just not how sports works. And I'm not going to get, I, I I don't think this, this in this form is the solution, but I think you make an interesting point of like, at the moment, what are we talking about? This is a, a podcast all about one of the true superpowers in college football who maybe 
won't be as super powerful in the new world. And that superpower is nervous about that. If you are not employed by Ohio State or a diehard Ohio State fan, would you look at this situation and think good or bad? You might say good. It's a a disruptor, right? Well, Ohio State's one of the four best programs in college football. I don't don't know if they want disruption. They kind of want to do their thing. Because guess what? Their thing's been going pretty well. Right? No national title since 14, but like right there, right in the mix. It's an interesting way to think of it because we are in our little, we're all in a little Buckeye bubble here because you guys want best for what's best for Ohio State. But Texas A&M or Florida or Tennessee or somebody else is saying, oh, this is our chance. We've been down for so long. This is our chance from the 419. With NIL, I feel Ohio State donors and boosters are afraid because of past infractions under the old rules. Or they think that Ohio State should be able to win based off name and history alone. The rules have changed. There's plenty of money out there within this massive alumni and fan base. The gloves are off, and you can throw all the money you want to entice top recruits and portal players as well as retain current players. The NCAA is toothless and not enforcing anything, so have at it. Am I getting anything wrong here? Corbin in Indianapolis. No, I don't think you are. Other than... Is that not what you want? I, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's a wrong interpretation. But is that what you want? It's a tough question. It, this is, an, again, Ohio State remains the most fascinating lens to me to view this in all of college football. Everything. No, no lens I find more interesting than the Ohio State lens on this. So you just got to suck it up. I do think it's a tough ask on fans. And I do think that's that's the part. And I am not going to be in the business of raising money for Ohio State, but I want to be able to guide you guys as much as you want to be guided. So we will take that approach at cleveland.com slash OSU and on Buckeye Talk that we want to give you information so that you as fans can feel informed. That's what we do with everything. That's what, that's what this whole, well, informed, eh, entertained, yeah, we try to inform at times too. So that's what we want to do here. But we're not going to, um, you know, we don't want to like, we're not going to hand you the pen to write the check though, right? But I, we we do owe it to you guys to get as much information as we can about what the options are for you, what the impact is if you give money, if you choose to. Can you feel safe that your money is being used in a way that, you think is proper i think we owe it to you um to do all those things and we're gonna we're gonna do that because i i can feel i can feel the angst about this i'm angsty about it and it's not that it's bad but that it's it's new and uncertain from the six seven eight this is matt and pequa i know i'm early for a ramp but here it is i've been watching all the nil stuff and i actually made a contribution this week but this seems like the most mismanaged thing i've ever seen you have three collectives to contribute to, and all they tell you is who is on the board. They don't tell you how much money they have brought in or where it's going. And I know the foundation doesn't have any employees, or I haven't heard about the other two, and I haven't heard about the other two. So I'm trying to figure out who to give my money to, and it's just crazy. 
I tried to get as much information as possible to make an informed decision, but finally I just picked one, and it seems that some of them are doing it just for the attention. So if you guys could help us out to make informed decisions, it would be great. Matt, you are 100% right. That's what we need to be doing. So we'll make that our we'll make that a part of our mission here. Let's, let's get through the football. Let's get through the football season. I know signing day is coming, but we will really try this off season as quickly as early in the off season as possible to get a sense of where if you want to give if that's your decision what your donation would do we'll do that last couple from the 312 it's mike in wheaton illinois this is a frustration for me we will see what happens on signing day but even given where Ohio State is in NIL, they have a serious chance to finish with the number two or number three recruiting class. It comes off as an organization that has every resource at its disposal crying poor. I get that Ohio State wants to be number one in everything, but um, isn't just excellent good enough sometimes? I give to a lot of charities and have a lot of angst about giving money to make my favorite college football teams better instead of giving to a more deserving charity. Anyway, I am fairly certain I am in the minority of diehard fans, but that is my rant. I don't know, Mike, if you are, because they are 501c3s, right? So they are they are nonprofits that you can write it off. And I mean, it is like giving to a charity. And it's like, oh, I could help people in need, or I could help the team I love get a recruit. And And that's not my judgment, but I can understand how those would feel like very different things. So that maybe you, if you think of it as like, if you're taking your your collective money, your NIL money out of your charity bucket, I have this much money that I, I want to give the charity. Or would you take it out of your entertainment bucket? I love football. This is entertainment for me. I want to make it better. Would you take it out of your sports bucket? Would you take it out of, I'm going to, you know, eat Chipotle one time, fewer each month and that's seven bucks that I can give the collective and that's seven times 12 and that's $84 and I'm sacrificing my burrito to help get a recruit. I, I don't know. You guys have to all come to this on your own, but I can, I, I'm, I'm giving myself thanks thinking about it. So I understand why you have it. I understand why you have it. From the 740, this is something that we have talked about extensively before, but we're going to say it again here because the texter agrees with this idea. College football fundraising has to become like modern political fundraising. Universities become the candidate campaign. Collectives become the pack. Gene Smith needs to get a political campaign expert to manage this and set up the protocols. It's got to be grassroots, and the bigwigs have to do it also to make it good. There's no reason why they don't have a text call for donations the way political campaigns or disaster relief campaigns do. Why aren't there subscription options for monthly five to ten dollar increments? Um, it's not asking for creativity, just imitation. Just do what these other outlets do. I think this is smart. By all accounts, they lost a couple of recruits because they couldn't match the upfront money. I expect they'll hold on tight for 2023, but they have to rebound and get with the times in 2024. So that's the thing that's going to happen here is they're, they are going to talk about, you know, they can't talk about this stuff on the record, but they're going to make it known, I would imagine, that there are recruits they feel like they lost because of NIL. And they will do that maybe because it's true, maybe because it puts pressure on people on the outside to give more money so it doesn't happen in the next recruiting class. But they are going to replace the player they didn't get with a still like very good player. Will they drop in the recruiting rankings? Maybe. Are they going to drop from the top three to 15th? No. 
Will you be happy if they are now on average seventh in recruiting instead of third? Will they be happy? Will that, if there, if, if there is a dip in overall recruiting ranking because they're losing out on guys in the top 100, will that mean that there's a dip in on-field success? These are all the things that are going to have to play out. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for it to play out, Ohio State is going to feel like potentially that it's falling behind, which is why they put out this call last week. I don't think it should be on you. I, at the very least, don't think it should be on you for more. If it's on you to turn your donations, then that's a decision Ohio State has to make. But we can't live in a world where there's this giant TV contract that there would be enough money for the TV contract to allow the schools to pay the football players, but they can't. So they keep the TV money. They do whatever they do with that. They build extra facilities. They do other things for other sports. And then they ask you to pay the players. They do have the money. They just aren't allowed to use it. That is not sustainable. That is not fair. That's not how these athletic departments and universities should be using you guys. That is not the expectation I think that they should put on them. Now, if they are willing to say, stop giving to us. We used to get, and I'm just totally making up money. We used to get $25 million a year in donations. We fundraised. We were aggressive. We used to get $25 million a year. We will cover that with our giant TV contract. That $25 million a year, give it to the collectives. That they could say. And that's the way that the TV money is paying players. It's just there's a middleman in between. TV money to the university, university to the fans, don't give us money anymore. Fans, give the money to the collective. Okay? That's a transaction that would work. But I do not think the schools can say, give to them, keep giving to us. By the way, this TV contract is gigantic. And look over there, there's a new building for our 34th most popular sport. That is not sustainable, and that is not fair to you guys. Okay. Backburner it for now. I know you're confused right now. I'm still confused. I'm pleased I am not the world's greatest NIL expert. I know a little bit. I've talked to some people about it. Backburner it. Ohio State has a playoff game. We'll figure it out. Well, we could figure it out, frankly. I mean, my God. If they just let people like us figure it out, we'd have solutions. But it's the NCAA. They're not going to actually come up with solutions. They're going to patch holes until something else springs a leak. But we will try to guide you in the offseason. I'm sorry it's confusing right now. I'm sorry that we end up talking about finance for 25 minutes on a college football podcast. But this is also, it can be the interesting thing kind of, right, about college sports. Like some of these things that just, it's different in pro sports. It's more cut and dried in pro sports, which actually is better, but... Sometimes the confusion is interesting, but not when it's mostly frustrating. Thanks, as always, to you guys. We will be talking to players and coaches this week. We'll be bringing you new information. We will really dive in with some Georgia-Ohio State matchups sooner than later. Go read cleveland.com slash OSU. And if you would like to try the text, see, we'll still take your money. Now, don't, I mean, that is your decision. But I'm not going to tell you to give our text money to Ohio State. They're, they they at least have more money than us. You guys know we're in the journalism business, right? And it's like dying. So I don't know. 
Maybe make a 501c3 for us. I'm kidding. We're fine. <laughs> That's the last thing. And then at the end of his long rant about how NIL was squeezing the average fan, Doug said, please support the dying journalism business and tried to uh, guilt you into the text. That's not cool. Actually, don't do the text today. Don't do it today. I'm not going to guilt you into it. Come to it from a fresh start on the next pod. No guilting. Well, just offer it if you want. I'm not even going to give the number. I'm not even giving you the option of signing up for the text today because everybody is already asking you for too much money. You have yourselves and your families and your loved ones and your charities to look out for. Um, We don't need your podcasts and your sports teams begging for money all the time either. No text number because we appreciate you guys for being here. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.